You know, we're still in January, so we can talk a little bit about uh, some New Year's presentations we can do with our lives, or uh, we always call them resolutions, but uh, uh, today I'm going to call them solutions, you know, real solutions to our lives. You know, and <laughs> it'll help us endure better. Uh, things might not be better, but you'll know how to get through them better. I always think of the Apostle Paul, the things he went through, uh, shipwrecked, uh, beatings, uh, beaten with rods, beaten with whips, uh, day and a night in the sea, uh, storms uh, in the city, uh, terror in the city, uh, attack in the country, robbers, thieves, uh, animals, all these things. And he called himself and he calls us more than conquerors. So whatever we go through in 2019 isn't really going to hold a candle to the power that lies within us by the Holy Spirit. So there's five things, you know, I, I think it, it, we look at ourselves so different than how God looks at us. Uh, we look at ourselves as what people have talked about or mentioned to it, you are, or you're always like this, or you look like this, or something like that. Or our experiences and things, how we felt and things like that. So this is how we judge our lives. And that sometimes is such a contrast to what God, how he sees us. And so I'm going to list five things today that uh, some of them will shock you. Some of you might not even believe them, but this is what the Bible tells us. So I'm going to tell you five things that we all should know how God sees us. Number one, you are his child forever. <clears throat> In John 1, 12 through 13, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of human decision, or of a husband's will, but from God. In other words, he's given us the right because he lets us receive him. And this is a decision that man made. And it's not because you were born a certain way. You were born into a royal family or a common family or a bad family. It, it wasn't decided that like that. No human decision whatsoever not of the husband's will, the head of the house. He said, you know, I think we're going to develop a God here, and this is what he's going to be like. It wasn't nothing like that at all, but actually it was born of God himself. How many times have you heard someone say, well, you know, we're all God's children? Well, we're not all God's children if we don't receive what he's already given us. Believe it or not, there's a lot of people that reject salvation. They reject getting right with him. And he's provided that for us. There's actually anti-Christianity, if you can believe that. Now, to us, that sounds abhorrent, but the outside world, they live that way. They don't want nothing to do with him. They, so they can't be called God's children. <clears throat> Here's what it says in Galatians about how we come to him. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the set, uh, set time, or when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, just like you and I, born under the law, uh, that means the Jewish people are not born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that, he might, that we might receive adoption. It's a key word here. Adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, that's us, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Pastor Mike talks about that every Sunday. 
the Holy Spirit living in us comes into our heart, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Those words are like saying, Dad, or Papa. The closeness that this, that, that word represents, that when he comes into our hearts, he says, Oh, we have him. He's ours. He belongs to us. So you're no longer a slave or a servant, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, one of the words we saw in there was the word adoption. You know, in, in uh, Jewish circles, if you were adopted, you were even more precious to that family than if you were a natural son. How many of us know that natural children born into a family are not loved? We know that, don't we? There's a lot of children today that are abandoned, uh, left alone, don't want you. But when you adopt, you say, you're going to come into my family because I want you in here and I love you and I want to be part of your family and you are already part of our, our family. They're making a declaration even above and beyond what natural birth is. And this is what God did with us through Jesus Christ. We've been adopted. He called us in. He knew what we were. He said, I'm taking you in. And so this adoption thing is, I, I always appreciate when people adopt. You know, it's just, it's a, uh, I, I think we've all seen it on videos where um, they have this little, I just seen one here a few days ago, this little boy, you know, they, they, they had, a, it was Christmas, around Christmas time, I think. And they, they, they come over to him and say, you know what we're going to do with you, Johnny? We're going to adopt you. That means you're going to be in our family. And all the tears, everybody in the, Everybody was whooping and hollering and crying, and that little boy just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. All of a sudden, he's worth something. Somebody wants me. This is exactly what our Heavenly Father did with us. Now, in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, <clears throat> this is so key. <clears throat> I, I refer to this so much. It says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Some little steps here. They're very keen. You trust, you hear. We've all heard the gospel. Everybody in this room is going to hear the gospel. They have heard the gospel, or they're going to hear it today. But you've heard. Now you believe. That's the trick. That's the key, having believed. When you believe, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise and guaranteeing our inheritance. We used this term last week in Sunday morning Bible study. It's like you're hermetically sealed. You know, like them toys you get at Christmas time, you can't open them up. You've got to have a knife. You've got to have a knife. You know, you've got to carve it open to, to open it up. No kid could open it on his own. But that's just, we're sealed. This is a promise. This is a promise from God who cannot lie. So when you hear and you believe, you're sealed. See, a lot of us don't look at, look at it that way. We look at, well, you know, I did this the other day, and oh, I, I'm out of the kingdom. He doesn't love me anymore. That's not true. This is not what the Word says. We can always refer to that. I, I refer to that a lot. Ephesians 1, 13, 14, 13 through 14. It's also confirmed 
in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. It's always good to look in the Word of God and you see a confirmation. It's good to have more than one verse. This one says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He's the one that established us. And he also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What better promise can you have? This is when you believe. I'm just going to assume that everybody here is a believer. And this is what's already happened here. You're sealed, and you're uh, forever, like our number one, you are his child forever. This is something that's no effort of our own. We've got to remember this is God doing these things. Not on any special effort of our own. Of our own. It's the work of the Father. It's the work of the Son. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And to go in a little bit further, Paul said in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities or powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor no other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate that. There's absolutely nothing. This is the promise that he gives. And in John 10, we see here that he says, My sheep hear my voice, they, uh, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. This is you and me, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. We are his child forever. Number two, we still sin, but he no longer counts your sins against you. That's quite a statement. It took me a long time to understand this. And if this gets taken away from you, if this promise isn't true, it's very, very hard to live in victory. It's very, very hard to sustain your heart knowing that you're his child. The enemy will attack you every way he can. You did something yesterday. You're not his child. I've said this so many times in, in adult Bible study. This had me took my legs out from under me every time I did something wrong. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, when Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7, it just took my legs out from me. I said, I, I can't be a Christian because look what I just did. But not according to him. Here's what we're going to see. <clears throat> when we're all pretty familiar with King David, and this is what he said in Psalm 32. He said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirits there is no deceit. Who doesn't want to be like that? I want to be where no sin is counted against me and there's no deceit in my heart. And he said this after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. We're all familiar with that story where he had uh, saw her bathing on a rooftop and he said, you know, I want her. And he takes her, uh, brings him into the palace uh, starts to sleep with her and everything. She becomes pregnant. That's not good news. Her husband Uriah, Uriah is a high-caliber high officer who is now fighting on the, on the battlefront. And uh, so he says, we've got to cover this up somehow. So let's get Uriah back here. And what I'm going to do is give him a furlough. And in that furlough, he can spend time with his wife. And uh, they can have relations. And so the baby will not, you know, it doesn't look like it's mine because he hasn't been able to have, be with you. And so it'll be his child, and the thing is covered up. It's all done. Well, it so happens that Uriah is such a good, good commander in his army 
And he, uh, King David tells him, now, you're going to take a break for a while and spend some time with your wife. He says, oh, no, I can't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, no, I'm going to serve you, my king, uh, and I'm going to do what's right. I couldn't do that. While we're at battle, your kingdom is at battle. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. So, he, so what David does, he sends him out to the deepest part of the, 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 the very front of the battle, the most dangerous part of the battle. And, of course, he gets killed. And that was intent. In his heart, King David had committed murder, had the, had, the, had the husband murdered. So now we have this thing stirring in David's heart. He knows, it, he knows this is wrong. He told, this is a man after God's own heart. How would you like to be called that? Now there's a man after God's own heart. Well, this is our man here. Well, then the prophet Nathan comes up to him and says, uh, my king, what would you do? If you saw a man out here and he had a, a, a huge, huge uh, ranch and it was full of animals, he had thousands of cattle and he had sheep and he had goats and everything. And his neighbor was just a little guy, had one little lamb. That's all he had. That's all he could afford. And this landowner that had all this stuff came and t- took that little lamb. What would, you, what would you do to a guy like that? And the king says, oh, that's so horrible. That's the most horrible thing a man could do. That man ought to be punished like no man has ever been punished. And then Nathan the prophet says, that's you. That was you, oh, my king. And this is when it hit David's heart so hard. And this is what he wrote when he wrote what we just quoted here on, on Psalm 32 and also Psalm 51. Psalm 51, I'll just read, read a little bit of it. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude, see, he knows God's heart, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my trans- transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. It's always hovering around me. Only against you have I sinned. So he asked forgiveness. It's just like what we do. When we mess up, we just ask forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says if you, you know, you don't really have to because your sins are forgotten, but it cleanses your heart. You feel good. Your relationship with him is much, much better. Just First John 1 John 1.9 says if you ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you just like that. No problem. This is our loving Father. <clears throat> when we look at our our salvation today, and this is not the same salvation that King David had, but in Hebrews 10, 8 to 14, it says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt, uh, burnt offerings and sin offerings, and you did not desire, meaning God didn't desire them, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am, this is Jesus, said, here I am, I have come to do your will. So he sets aside the first to establish the second. In other words, sets aside the first covenant of butchering bulls and, and goats and everything else because there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, the Bible says. So he, he set that one aside to establish the second one, which is his blood. And he says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That means you and I, if believing in Jesus Christ, we are holy. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? We're being made holy. I, I, who else would this be for? It's for us. 
Day after day, every, this is in the old thing, the old priest stands and performs his religious duty. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice. He gets up the next morning, bring in the animals, let's slaughter them all. It was a day of slaughter all, all, <coughs> all throughout the day. And the Jews, you were, you were, you were required to bring a, a lamb in the morning, a lamb at night. That's just, that's just you. And there were millions of them. So God was just showing him, you cannot have any kind of remission of your sin without shed blood. So they went and did this day after day, performed these, this day all the time. And it would never take away sins. But when this priest, that's Jesus, came and offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, and then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool for by one sacrifice, that's Jesus, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's us again. <laughs> Not some spooky people out back a couple thousand years ago. That's us. Now when it says he sat down, <coughs> a lot of meaning to that. You know when a priest was in the temple, they were never sit- there was no chairs in there. You had a duty to perform. <coughs> you were in... You were in the, the holy place or the most holy place. You were in the sanctuary where, had the, where they had the, uh, uh, all, the, all the utensils for worship in there. And uh, the one priest went in one time and went to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. There was no sitting down because their job was never done. They're going to have to do the, thing, the same thing all over again the next day. But Jesus did it one time and one time only. He can sit down now. Now he's sitting down. <coughs> now, something that helps us out here, when we, when we started out here earlier, it says, you still sin, but no longer count your sins against you. Here's something that Paul said, Romans 7, 15 through 24. Do we still sin today? Of course we do. But here's how Paul explained the remedy for that. He said, for what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I want to do, that I don't practice. And what I hate, that I do. And then if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that that's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. We've got to catch this. For I know that it's in me, that is in my flesh, in my covering, my body. Now, when we say flesh, <coughs> when we say flesh, that means your mind, will, and emotions. So just like what you're born with. Um, mind, will, emotions, thinking processes, things like that. We know that evil dwells within us. Now he goes on to say, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present in me to do good. But how to perform it, that which is good, I don't find it able. I'm not able to do it. For the good that I want to do, I don't do. I know this sounds a little repetitive. I think he wants us to get it. But the evil that I want to do, that's what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, 
It's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. He says this twice in just that little paragraph. This was something that I didn't realize way until way, way into my adult Christian life, if you will. I thought the minute I sinned, I was out with God. The only way to get back in is to maybe, um, I don't know, maybe ball and squall for a couple days or something or beg him to get back into his graces. Well, that's not the situation. He doesn't see me that way anymore. So it's no longer I who sin. How many? Let's just take a small example of this. Have you ever just planned something out that, that for someone else and maybe you got mad or upset with that person and you, you, you aborted the whole project? Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to, this year, I'm going to quit smoking. Or I'm going to lose weight. Or something like that. Or I'm going to quit drinking. And we can't do it. What's the deal? I mean, seriously, think about that. How many smokers? No, I'm not going to ask that. How many drinkers? No, I'm not going to ask that. How many of us have done that? I said, thanks, Mike. (laughs) This This is so neat. But why don't we quit? There's two things working here. You have, now back to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you have the Holy Spirit living in you right now, but now you're in a body of death. Uh, in, later on in chapter 7, he calls this a body of death. In fact, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to read this here quick. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one that wants to do good. That's me but there's something here that makes me want to do it the opposite or wants me to do something bad. But I see in this law, it's warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He goes on to say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now this is all, this is everything uh, for everybody. We all experience this. But I think the key we have to, there's two things. You are born again, and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. But you are in a body or a shell that is not redeemed. And when you become born again, and when you, and you exhibit and say, God, I want you in my life. Yes, Jesus, I believe that your, your cross and your blood took all my sin away. Yes, I believe that. What am I going to do about the rest of it? Number one is renew your mind. He tells us uh, in uh, um, chapter 12 of uh, Romans. No, right? Yeah, Romans. Romans chapter 12. Come on, all you Bible scholars. Just nod your head. Okay, renew your mind. Rethink. Start reconstituting your thought life, just like what we're doing today. Recognizing that God is our Redeemer right now. And so I live in this body that is, has a magnet to sin, that can sin, has the ability to sin, wants us to sin, so there's this war going on. Now, uh, some will say, well, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're going to have, we are going to have this problem all our life. Uh, it's going to, this sin, sin thing on our bodies or on our, our flesh, if you will, is going to be with us all the time, although we can conquer it. How do we do it? We consider it dead, the Bible says. 
just consider it dead. You know, if you've got a car out in your backyard and don't start, I'm not going to mess with you anymore. I'm going to consider you dead. Right, considering it dead, you say, yeah, I know. All these things, all these sins that are around that people get involved in, I have an attraction to in my flesh, not in my inner man. You know, Paul said that. No, I don't want to do good. I want to be good. I want to do everything right with God. But this body prevents me from doing that. So what do we do with that? We renew our mind and we consider it dead. Now, without going into a, a, a big, long thing on that, there's, there's, there's some wonderful references on how to, do, how to do that, how to consider your body dead. So we can go on and we can get, you know, he goes on here and says, <clears throat> O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? A lot of times this is illustrated when a man committed a sin years ago and killed a man, they took his body and strapped it to his body, and he walked around for until that body was rotted. It's almost that's the description that Paul is saying, who's going to get me out of this? Okay, now we're looking back, <clears throat> and we're still saying, we still sin, but he no longer counts our sins against us. So we say there in Romans 8, 1, we all, we all know this. He said there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, <clears throat> so if he's delivered me from all these things, if I'm, if I'm free from sin, why can't I just go on sinning? Why not? Hey, I really, I'm a righteous man inside. In my old flesh, I'll let him get to do what it wants. Here's what happens when we think that way. Paul is very clear in the sixth chapter of Romans, and he said, oh, no, God forbid that. Here's something we can think about. So why not sin? Why can't we keep sinning? Well, the whole plan of God is to get us out of the clutches of sin. That's the whole plan. Why would we go back? Why would we do those things again? if we think we can do that. There's no permissiveness there. He's pulling us out of it. He's rescuing us. Well, what happens is sin is going to start to habit your life, inhabit your life. If you want to go back to that, here's what can happen. You're going to do things you don't want to do, just like what Paul said. You're going to say things you don't want to say. It's going to cost you way more than what you want to pay for it. And it's going to stick around longer than you want it to stick around. So when we're entering in the kingdom of God, we're, child, we're children of God, and there's two things here that I just want to bring out. We, we see them a lot in Scripture, and sometimes they're a little bit confusing. <clears throat> in Matthew 18.3, this is what Jesus said. He said, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's been a lot of teaching on that. There's been like, you know, uh, well, you know, you've got to trust him. you just really got to trust him. He'd be like a little kid standing on a table, you know. He's standing right here, and uh, you're down there, and he's just going to jump, and he's going to trust you. You've got to be like that. Well, I've, I've found that hard to do a lot of times. And I think, this is what I think it means. And when I say I think it means, I put an asterisk by it because uh, uh, check it out for yourself. I, I, I could be wrong, but I, this is what I think it means. When we are little children, you know, you take like a little three-year-old or a five-year-old or a one-year-old. They don't have any concept of the righteousness of God. They're clean. And God's blood, the blood of Jesus, spread over them, and they're saved. 
the same way with people that are mentally handicapped, people that can't reason, people that are confused. You know, the enemy is an attacker. He just attacks, kills, steals, destroys. That's all he wants to do. So those people, I believe, are saved. And so until we get to the age of accountability where we can reason and understand good and evil and understand the scriptures and understand what salvation is and understands what it means not to accept salvation. So until we get to that age, I think God's grace covers that whole thing. Um, <clears throat> so he says, unless you become like a little child. You know, the little children would come, on, uh, come around to Jesus and, and uh, the, some of the disciples would say, get, 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 get out of here, you little rugrats, get out of here. You know? Jesus said, no, no, let, let them come. Hey, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. See, clean. They're clean. That's how we get in. We're clean. And that's how he considers you and I. Right now, our sins are forgiven. We're like little children. We qualify. Now, here's another one. It doesn't look like it, 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 it you know, matches here, but I think you'll see it comes together. And here's another thing Jesus said. He said, <clears throat> most assuredly, Oh, no, I'm sorry. John 3.3 3 said, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Here's two requirements. Be like a little child and be born again. How do we be born again? We talked about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. You hear, you believe, you believe in your heart, you're born again. Holy Spirit comes in. This is how that happens. Now, he said, in John 3, 5 and 7, Jesus said, Most assuredly, in other words, you can bank on this, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. When we become born again, we have a new spirit. Our bodies don't change, but we have a new spirit. And he said, don't marvel at that. There's just two types of birth here. There's a birth of the flesh, which we all have experienced, then the birth of the Spirit, which I trust everyone here has had, had that. A birth in the Spirit. You've become a new Spirit. The problem with that is, and if I was God, I would have changed it. I would have made it different. You know, when we become believers, why don't our ears turn green or something? Or, or you know, I, I know some of us had some amazing testimonies of how we were saved and what happened to us. But I, I just, I just, don't you just want to feel more, you know? Well, one of, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And joy will come into your heart. If you don't let the enemy fool you, joy will be in your heart. The Lord wants to process that all the time. Okay, number three, and this, this goes faster after this. <coughs> the Bible says, You are perfect in his sight, as righteous as he is. In Romans 3, 20, 24, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the flesh... By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That means when you, if you complete the law perfectly, they did every, every commandment perfect, all the 613 or whatever laws that the Jews had, if you, com, if you did everyone perfect, you will not be saved. That is not righteousness. He only did that to show them that that is not a highest, high enough standard. The highest standard, the standard that he wants for us is to be like Jesus. Same thing. And that's where he's brought us. He's done this on his own. Without our, he's offering it to us. Okay? So now it says, 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin, and that's why it was made. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. In other words, there's something better. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, they said that, that even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. That's us. We have the righteousness of God. You know, say, well, nobody's perfect, right? There's only one guy that's perfect that killed him. We've all heard that. But no, the Bible tells us we're as righteous as God. We have his righteousness through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5.17, I alluded to this earlier. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone is in Christ he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, things, behold all things that have become new. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and, and sin, certain uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, you haven't cut off your flesh, I mean, you haven't, you haven't denied your flesh, if you will, you haven't put it to death, uh, or you haven't uh, uh, um, crucified it, uh, some of the words that we say, but you haven't counted it dead, but if you walk in the Spirit and said, He has made you alive together with Him having forgiven all your trespasses and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. The law was against us. The law, the law put us down. The law killed us. In fact, Paul said, you know, if I didn't know there was a law, I was free. But when there was a law and I couldn't do it, I died. I, I, I couldn't do it. I was helpless. But... We know that having this, this requirement that was against us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Every law that we are supposed to be for, perform to be righteous, he just took the whole thing and nailed it right to the cross. That's the end of that law. The law now has been written in your heart. And you have someone that has fulfilled the law, every law, just like I wanted it done, and that was Jesus Christ. And if you trust and believe in him, you have fulfilled the law, just like he did. Boy, don't ever get under bondage of your, of your behavior and what you have to be doing now. We'll talk a little bit. There isn't a lot of time here, but a little, little, little bit about that at the end here. <coughs> Number four, you cannot be, we're gonna, this is going to go fast, you cannot be condemned for any reason. How do you like that one? Is that something you process every day? I, that's hard. You cannot be condemned for any reason. This is the high water, micro, my, uh, high water mark of the Bible, I always call it. Uh, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That means that we cannot be condemned for any reason. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. When I was growing up, I thought, no, when he comes back, he's just going to totally kick people around and condemn them. You dirt bags, you sin bags. No? No, he said, I'm setting you free. I'm going to set you free. I've got this. Five. 
When you stand before God, you will be as perfect as he is. You know, these are five things that are... This escapes a lot of people. This escapes a lot of Christians. When you stand before God, you will be as perfect as he is. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, <coughs> now we now we are God, children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I'm going to go back, and we shall be like him. There's something I wrote down here. All physical, mental, emotional, spiritual imperfections will be gone forever. All desire to sin will be gone, as will the disappointment, the shame, the guilt that accompanied it. Our spirit will be in perfect alignment with God's spirit, and our will in perfect harmony with his. No matter what kind of sinner we have been here on earth, or how often we stumble and fell, or how disapprovingly we've been looked upon by our peers, when we stand before our Creator, every hint of our earthly self will have disappeared, and we will finally be the perfect example of ourselves. He created us to be fit to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever in the most luxurious environment that he has ever designed. So what should we do about this? What's our response to this? What, 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 what is our response? What's, what's each and every one of us, what is our response to this news, to these five things? In John 8, 28 and 29, it says, then he, Jesus said this, he said to them, or, or <coughs> after they had asked him, they had asked him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. This is what we can be rested on. We have to remember that his sacrifice, what he did in his side of the covenant, what he did is the root of our salvation. That's the core, that's the root, what he did. But our behavior, which is important, I hope I haven't, anybody gets the idea that I've discounted that, but it's that our behavior is really the fruit of our salvation. That's another sermon. But when we come to Christ and know what he's done for us, we'll behave. We'll do good. We'll just do the things that he tells us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this great salvation. How can we reject so great a salvation, Lord? Father, my prayer is that each one of us today, we understand this, Lord. We can understand, Lord, this great offering of salvation to us. And Father, when we're confronted by someone that discounts us or doesn't believe, or I said, well, what makes you so good? We can just say nothing, just what my Lord and Savior did for me. He put his spirit in my spirit and made me righteous so I could live the life that he wants me to live. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.